Amen. Let us turn now to the reading of God's holy word, Proverbs chapter 1, page 669 in the Blue ESV Bibles under the seats. Uh, For those who were here last Sunday morning, we were in Psalm 150. We turn over one page. Uh, Lord willing, we will work through uh, the book of Ruth uh, start to finish in the month of December. Uh, But before we get there, because we are hoping to be at the end of Ruth for Christmas. Uh, Before we get there, uh, having worked through one psalm from each of the five books of the psalms, we'll we'll dig into the beginning of the other wisdom book, the other writing, as uh, the Hebrews used to call these books. And we'll have, uh, I think, two sermons on Proverbs 1. So this morning we look at Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 7, and uh, we're we're thinking especially about verse 7, uh, but we are uh, looking at this this whole prologue as well. The beginning of God's holy book of wisdom, Proverbs chapter 1, let us hear the word of God. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So far, the reading, the holy word of God. And dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, A tiger shark is one of the more powerful creatures that God has made. An aquatic leech is not very powerful. But what do these creatures have in common? Well, sometimes they have a lot in common because sometimes they're traveling in exactly the same direction, at exactly the same speed, because the leech is attached to the tiger shark. Now the leech, as a Christian apologist once pointed out, is a picture of how those in rebellion against God still depend upon God as they seek to swim through this world. Why can an unbeliever think? It is only because God has made them in his image as rational creatures. Why can unbelievers think in an orderly way and expect to find order in this world? It is only because God made them with the ability to think in a certain 
order and because this is God's orderly creation which he continues to sustain. Unbelievers want to deny God. They want to hold on to at least some kind of order. And so they leech onto the shark of the Christian worldview, God's order, what God has made, what God has given them, though they reject him. They try to ride along like a leech on a shark or to take the picture out of the ocean and onto Main Street. Cornelius Van Til had an illustration which was probably even better when he said, the unbeliever only contributes to the world when they take stolen capital from the bank of heaven. The Bible confronts unbelief at every level, including the foundational, under-the-surface level. And we see this plainly here in our text, in this foundational prologue of God's wisdom book. And so our theme this morning is this. Dependence upon God is the starting point of true knowledge. First, learn from the Lord. We're going to look at verse 7, even as verse 7 is going to be in our minds all throughout. And then uh, point 2 will be this. Learn now, uh, verses 1 to 4, and then learn always, verses 5 to 6. So we begin with this. Learn from the Lord. And we're looking at verses 1 to 7, but especially verse 7. So we just go right ahead there to start. Because Proverbs 1, verse 7 has rightly been called the purpose statement of this book of wisdom. Uh, That's from Charles Bridges. Or simply, the book's foundation. And uh, this foundation takes us to the solid rock of God himself. We are secure when we trust in God, and not just trusting in God in any way, not just knowing some basic facts about God, but trusting God in faith. Trusting God with a holy fear. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And the fear of the Lord is is one of those expressions which appears again and again in the scriptures. And it's it's closely related to, to faith, to true faith, to true knowledge, which is part of true faith. And so, for example... In the uh, text about the heroes of the faith, where some of the Old Testament saints are singled out in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 verse 7 speaks about Noah's reverent fear of God. And that's, that's the kind of fear that's being spoken of here in Proverbs 1 verse 7. It's the, it's the reverent fear of those who have faith. It's the fear of the Lord which is tied to Uh, true faith. And so, uh, in another place, in Psalm 130, verse 4, the fear of the Lord is tied to to forgiveness from the Lord. In other words, it's tied to repentance. Fear of the Lord is for those who repent and have the Lord's forgiveness. Fear of the Lord is for those who have a reverent fear, a true faith in God. And so, uh, we'll speak about Uh, practical working out of wisdom this morning. And certainly the book of Proverbs as a whole has much to say about the practical working out of wisdom. But we always need to remember the foundational starting point, 
This is the prologue. This is the book's foundation. This is verse Proverbs 1 verse 7 is the verse in the light of which all of that practical working out stuff which follows must be read. This is where we start. Going back to the uh, second illustration of our introduction. We must know our own spiritual bankruptcy in order to begin to have faith, in order to begin to fear the Lord. We need to recognize that we come before God as spiritually bankrupt, as those who must see we are poor in spirit. And this is where wisdom begins. When we depend upon the Lord, when we know we need to have holy, trusting fear in Him. Consider, brothers and sisters, how the Apostle says it in Colossians 2. And this is the one text I'll ask you to turn with me to this morning. Colossians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And I'm going to read about a half dozen verses from Colossians 2 and be thinking about where does wisdom begin? Who must we come to to even begin to have true wisdom? Who must we depend on? Who can make the payment for our spiritual debt and our spiritual bankruptcy? We need Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And going down to verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. True wisdom begins by trusting in Christ in whom is hidden all wisdom. True wisdom begins with acknowledging our bankruptcy. Our bankruptcy in every way. We cannot think apart from God. We cannot think rightly apart from God. We cannot think rightly apart from depending upon God. And specifically Jesus Christ canceling the debt of all of our, of all of our false thinking where we do not acknowledge him. And Christ brings us to salvation, to a holy fear of the Lord, to a sure foundation. For God is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And this Hebrew word for beginning, it's one of those words where it can mean either first in time or first in importance. 
This is one of those times when both of the meanings of the, of the word are fully uh, in view and true. God is the first one to have knowledge. God existed before time began, which God made. And God is the first in importance of any thinking and any knowledge, even as God is the only one who makes it possible for anyone to think. And so let's think about how we need to depend upon God and how the unbeliever does not depend upon God. The atheist depends upon their own so-called certainty that God does not exist. The agnostic depends upon their own certainty that it's impossible to be certain if God exists. And the idolater is certain that their idol is the one they must trust in. And of course, atheism and agnosticism are themselves just forms of idolatry, and so is setting up a, a false Christ who would not be the way, the truth, and the life. These are all forms of idolatry. These are all ways where one would not trust and depend upon the Lord with holy fear because the Lord is the one who takes us to the beginning of knowledge. On cross, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We must not depend upon ourselves in any way. So learn now in the Lord. This is taking us to our second point because foundational matters like this, matters of true wisdom, matters of our need to have a holy fear of the Lord, to depend upon the Lord, these are matters which are not to be put off. And so there is a focus on, on the youth and the, the son uh, throughout Proverbs, even as really that's Solomon's way of, of addressing all of the people of Israel. There is a focus on the youth. Look at verse 4, part of the prologue of the whole book of Proverbs to give prudence, verse 4, to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth. Or as Solomon said it in another place, in Ecclesiastes Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. After detailing throughout the book of Ecclesiastes all of these things that are vanity if we chase after them, Solomon comes back to this. May you from your youth serve the Lord. Do not put this off. This is something which should dictate our whole life. Repent of your sins now. Trust in the Lord now. And then from your youth, seek to live out your whole life in wise service to God, who is the beginning of knowledge. And so uh, we come and focus on the word simple there in verse 4, to give prudence to the simple. It's been suggested that a better translation of this word might be gullible. It's someone who hears something and says, oh, okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And there are so many words that we are exposed to. And just think about social media. It's an infinite scroll. You just keep going from one bit of information to the next, and it never ends. If you don't set a timer on your phone, the social media app, you can just, you can just go on forever. And so much of that information is not about fearing the Lord. And so there's, there's all of this information, there's all of these things that compete for our attention, that try to communicate to us. 
And certainly we're at danger of being gullible in any age. But the youth, they often have so much energy. They can take in even more information than the rest of us. How are you going to take in that information? Even as it's important to ask what information you will expose yourself to. Because so much is in open rebellion against God. And then there's much that doesn't explicitly say that it's against God, but secret rebellion is still rebellion. There is so much which is not starting from the foundational point of fearing the Lord. Or let's put it this way. If you don't dig down to the surface, if you don't go down to the foundation, if you don't think about what is the world view of what's being said, then you could very easily be deceived. If you put a GPS tracker on a leech and you don't go below the surface to see what's really going on, you might think that the leech is a tiger shark because it's going in all the same places at all the same speeds. We need to dig down. We need to think about what's the foundation of what's being said. What is the worldview? What is the goal? Because the worldview impacts our goal of what we're trying to do. A foundation must be dependence upon the Lord, and the goal must be His glory, His honor. Now, there's a word used repeatedly in the first four verses, and then all throughout the book, and that is the word wisdom. Wisdom. And the Hebrew word for wisdom is not just about high thoughts. It's not just a philosophical word. It's been called a, a down-to-earth word. And so it's interesting that sometimes the Hebrew word for wisdom that's used here in, in these first verses of Proverbs and all throughout Proverbs is translated in other places with the word skill. And so for just to take one example in Exodus 35 verse 26, if you want to write that down, the text describes the women of Israel who use their skill, it's the same Hebrew word, who use their skill in the weaving of the goat's hair in the construction of the tabernacle. In other words, the Hebrew word for wisdom does not just stay up here. It comes down to, to earth. It comes down to the practical level. And so as we just step back and think about Proverbs as a whole for a moment, remember that the prologue, and especially verse 7, verses 1 to 7, but especially verse 7, must be in view when we read all of the practical down-to-earth verses that follow in order to really be working those things out. You need to be working from the Lord, from a foundation of fearing Him, trusting Him. You need to be working from a goal of working for God's glory. Otherwise, it's never going to be true wisdom. All of the practical things will never be true wisdom if they're not done in fear of the Lord for the glory of the Lord. Fear the Lord now and learn to fear the Lord always. 
We know that God, if you do not serve the Lord in youth, it is never too late. God has even used the dreaded fear of death later in life to bring persons to a holy trusting fear in him at the very end. But whether you come to the Lord in youth, which is the prayer and the and the hope and even a special direction of the book of Proverbs, or whether you come to the Lord near the very end of your life, whenever you come to the Lord, continue to learn in the Lord. This is our this is our third point. Learn always in the Lord. And that's what that's what verse 5 says. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. We must depend upon the Lord in true faith, come to uh, come to God and be saved through Christ, and then we must continue to, to depend upon God through all our life. Even if we even if we think that we've learned much, there is always more for us to learn from the intimate uh, from the infinite wisdom of God. If you are wise, increase in learning. And again, the foundational level should always be in view. But we're also going to take this now into the into the practical working out level in, in a more direct way. Let's uh, let's Let's pick one example of how how we are to work in this world, and then we're going to use that as a springboard for thinking about all the ways that whatever different work we do, how we should do it for the Lord. And and we're going to think about how if you if you don't look at the surface level, yes, the unbeliever can do a number of skillful things in a sense. So the example that we're going to use is is tree removal. Tree removal. And the reason why I'm using this example, here's another verse you can write down, is because in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 6, Solomon writes a letter to an unrighteous king, the unrighteous king of the Sidonians, and he asks for help from a nation that's in rebellion against the one true God. He, he calls them up and asks for their tree removal service. Well, he, he writes a letter. So they did it a little bit different back then. But 1 Kings 5, verse 6, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll read it now. He, he, he says, Now therefore command that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I will pay your servants such wages as you set. For you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. Now, hopefully some of those Sidonians who became co-workers with Israelites heard about the one true God and came to worship him. But basically, the Sidonians are a nation in open rebellion against the one true God. But they have a very good tree removal service. Now, let's take this one example and apply it to a hypothetical town that has two tree removal service companies. And this is hypothetical. I don't know how many tree tree removal service guys there are in Wapan. Okay, so this is a hypothetical example. There's two tree removal service companies in a town. One is run by believers. The other is run by unbelievers. 
Now, will the unbelievers sometimes be really good at removing trees? Maybe better than the Christian company. And so we say, well, don't they have wisdom? No, we need to go down to the surface level. What are they doing? They're operating in an orderly way because God has made them as orderly people able to think rationally. They know that when they cut the tree here and when they cut it there, it'll fall this way and it won't fall on the house. And they know that's predictable and orderly because God made his creation in an orderly way. And they cut down majestic cedars because God made a beautiful creation. So from far away, it looks like they're doing really well. And in some sense, they are. They are forgetting the God who made them able to think. They are not giving glory to God who made the majestic cedar. And they are rejecting the God of order who made this world and continues to sustain it so that they can expect when they cut down the tree here, it will fall down this way and it won't fall on your house. We can be thankful when an unbeliever does a good job. And we can pick up the phone and call the unbelieving tree removal company. But they are in rebellion against God. And they have not even come to the beginning of true wisdom. Now if we believe in God and we trust in God, then we'll say, I want to do my work well. I want to do the down-to-earth, practical-level stuff well. And you read all through the book of Proverbs, and there's all kinds of practical, down-to-the-earth stuff. But never forget the foundation. Never forget why this world is orderly. And trust the Lord in all that you do. Trust Him who made it so that you could do any work well. Do everything in the fear of the Lord. Do everything for His glory. And so beginning with holy fear, let us then exercise our skill, our wisdom in the field, in the truck, at the computer, in the home. And wherever our labor is, Let's labor for the Lord so that when we look down, and hopefully it's not just under the surface, hopefully it's bubbling out in a number of ways. We are doing it as His servants. And then it can really be called wisdom because we're starting from a point of dependence upon the God who made us. We're living for His glory because He is the only one who can save us. He is our rock in every way. 
the foundational truth of Proverbs 1, verse 7, as we might expect for a foundational word like this, is repeated more than once in the Old Testament. Indeed, if we think in terms of Old Testament texts, quoting from other Old Testament texts, we can say that Proverbs 1, verse 7 is really just a quotation of Psalm 111, verse 10, which is really just a quotation of Job 28, verse 28, which was probably the first book of the Old Testament written. And then we would not be surprised to know that this will be repeated nearly verbatim in Proverbs 9, verse 10. And those are just direct quotations. If we think about parallel texts, there's so many so many parallel texts that speak about this basic truth in different ways. I'm just going to read one of them. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. We must live for God. We must depend upon God. He is the only rock of our salvation. He is the rock of our very existence. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty,